Hi, my name is Dami and today I'm going to teach you how to not go broke trying to buy your dream home. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Don't Go Broke Trying. I am your host, Renny, and this is the best podcast ever. <laughs> On this podcast, I teach you how to not go broke trying to live your best life. If you are here for the very first time, you're in the right place. And I would love if you would hit that follow button if you're listening on Spotify or Apple and hit that subscribe button if you are listening on YouTube. Okay. And also, if you didn't know, we have a YouTube channel. So if you want to see our beautiful faces, you can watch on YouTube as well. So today we have an interesting topic. And a lot of you ask me about this all the time. Everyone's always telling me that they want to know more about buying their first home in Canada specifically. Most of you who watch me are Canadian. So today I was like, let me bring one of the experts on here to talk to us all about buying our first home in Canada. So today I'm very pleased to introduce Dami, also known as Mortgages by Dami. And Dami is a mortgage broker who is based in Toronto and she specializes in financing both residential and commercial properties. So I'm really excited to talk to her. Thank you so much, Dami. Hi, how are you? Hi, Rennie. How, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Demi and I have collaborated a few times on, like, we did a real estate vision board party this year. She was on my YouTube channel maybe two years ago, I think, at this point. Yeah. And every single time, a lot of you tell me that you've learned a lot from her. So, of course, I had to have her back on the podcast. Uh, so, Demi, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what you do? Okay. Well, like you said, my name is Dami Arumimura. I'm a mortgage broker. Uh, so I work with several financing institutions to help people secure mortgage on their primary residence or business. So, so that's what I do. Uh, my background is in economics. I'm also super passionate about financial literacy. So I not only try to help people purchase their home, I try to impart some type of knowledge uh, along the way as well perfect and i know again a lot of you are trying to buy your very first home so i think this would be a very insightful conversation for you just to get some knowledge into how you can do it and a lot of the programs that are available for you out there so just to preface this is more of a conversation related to ontario specific um we cannot speak for all of canada or any other country in the world but if you do have questions just make sure you either dm dami or you can email the podcast and we'll make sure to answer your question if we can so dami i always like to start off with the renny rated segment Mm -hmm. and the renny rated segment is basically a product a service a song a food that you're really loving right now so what are you loving right now a song i'm really loving right now is uh davido's song oh okay i thought it was gonna be unavailable yeah no the one for some reason i uh, heard it on a tiktok and it's just been stuck on my head i don't think i know it feel you feel i think it's just feel it okay i haven't listened to the album to be honest i've just i've just heard unavailable and i really like it yes i think it's in the same album yeah okay very cool And just a disclaimer for everyone, this is not financial advice. We are just giving our takes. And if you need personalized financial advice, you should either reach out to Demi directly and then she can assess your whole financial situation and then give you advice from there. 
Okay, Demi. So before we get into the actual interview, I always like to know a little bit about our speaker and our guest and just learn a bit about you. So let's, my favorite way to do that is by going all the way back to the beginning and understanding how you grew up, where you grew up and your relationship, like what your relationship is with money. So what do you remember your like first memory of money and where did you grow up? So I grew up in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I was there till I was 18. And then I moved down to Canada as a student. Um, my relationship with money, I grew up with like very educated parents. They're also business owners. So I watched them grow from not having much um, to having, well, they're doing well now. So I think mm-hmm. my relationship with money, um, the first thing I remember is really my dad. And when you ask him for something, he never says we can't afford it. He's like, why do you need it? And so he's not, we, I think that just taught me to not operate from a place of scarcity, more from mm. a place of abundance. Mm. So if you really want it, what can you do about it to get it? Oh, I like that. I think, and that's, um, that has stayed with me even now to say, okay, not think about it from a place of scarcity or fear, but okay, if you want something, what can you do within your power to yeah i like that i think that's very different than a lot of other people's upbringing so i'm glad that you had that and then as you grew up how did that impact like the decisions that you made and and what happened growing up um so (laughs) i think initially it was almost like okay now when i came to university i was um doing my own thing i had money i was still thinking more for like an abundance okay if you want something go buy it but I wasn't thinking like, okay, you also have to make money to live like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I found out like in the beginning, I would like go through my savings very quickly. Mm. And then I think as I became more mature and also learned more, I'm like, okay, those two things. It's not just spending like, or thinking spending like in a place of an abundance. You also have to think about like, you also have to earn. And I think over time, I've kind of seen that those two things go hand in hand. hand. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess you started learning more about financial literacy. How did you start learning about financial literacy? Um, I think I've learned about financial literacy all through my life. Okay. Because of my parents, they are very like financially literate. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it really sank in until I became, it was just like, like, I remember then saying, like, oh, my pocket money is done. And my dad, my dad is like, you should save no Summer. matter how little you're earning. I'm like, how could I save? Yeah. This? So at that time, I didn't understand, like, how that connected to financial literacy. Mm-hmm. But later on, of course, when I have to earn my own money and I have to, like, pay my own bills, I started reading more about it. I took, actually, uh, financial courses. Mm-hmm. I went on YouTube. I learned about budgeting. So over nice. time... I then like learned about it in this context and a lot of those things I heard when I was younger started to make sense. Make so it didn't feel like, okay, I'm hearing this for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's like in a different context and in a different society. Okay. And if we fast forward to now, now you're a mortgage broker. So can you tell us how you became a mortgage broker and what even is a mortgage broker for those who don't know? Okay. I'll start how I became a mortgage broker. So it was actually very random. Like I, um, true, uh, understanding that financial independence is something that is very important to me. I was working a salaried job, but I was also investing in real estate. Mm. Through buying um, properties, then I didn't realize that, okay, the f- mortgage piece. So I started learning more for my own self. And then I remembered I went to one institution for a rental property, and I like, oh, you're maxed out, you don't qualify. Mm-hmm. Then I just went to the other person and it was so easy. So I'm like, she didn't say you don't qualify 
uh, anywhere. She just she made it seem like you wouldn't qualify, but it wasn't like, well, you can try this place or try mm-hmm. someone. So somebody else could have just taken that and not even tried. Yeah. But I went to another institution and it kind of just uh, worked out. So since then, I tried to learn like what's different. I started to help my friends when they were buying their first home. Mm-hmm. So later on, I decided, okay, since a lot of people are looking to me for that type of information, I decided to get my license. So I was kind of doing it on the side. But thankfully, things uh, did really well. And during that time, my employer was not treating me the best. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, always like that. <laughs> so I decided, like, you know what? I'm going to try this mm-hmm. and give it some... My full shots, and here I am. So right now, I'm a full-time mortgage worker. Yay. And what that means is that I work with different financial institutions, the banks, the credit unions, uh, private lenders, mortgage financing companies to help people finance their first home, to help investors buy more properties, to help you refinance. Uh, pretty much any financing that has to do with the home. Nice. And I think it's it's a common thing I see with entrepreneurs where their employer is not doing, <laughs> they're not treating them the best. So you just are like, okay, well, it's time to make that leap that yes. I kind of wanted to make before. But now that my, now it's like now I have a reason to actually make that leap. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if I understand correctly, as a mortgage broker, you work with over 400 banks, credit unions, and private lenders in order to basically fund the purchase of a property for any individual. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So now, so today we're going to focus on buying a home in Canada and specifically Ontario. uh, And we're going to focus on buying it as a first time home buyer. Cause again, a lot of my audience are very young or they're newcomers to Canada and they're looking to get their first house. So first question I would have was, do you think it's doable given that the, the, the market that we're experiencing right now in 2023, high interest rates, ex- kind of expensive properties, especially yeah. in, in the GTA. Do you think it's still doable for someone to get their first home in 2023? It's still doable. People are still doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely, uh, I would say challenging, but uh, it's still doable. And people are still buying their first homes, even like first time home buyers, new immigrants, yeah. single people. Is it typically like on a single income that people are able to buy a double income? What are you typically saying? Most people is on double income, especially in the GTA. Yeah. Because you have like the two income from two sides. So it becomes more, it's easier to save one because maybe sometimes you're spending one person's salary for living expenses and the other one is being saved. Um, So with two incomes, you're able to save for your down payment. You're also able to have a more... um, a higher purchasing power to be able to purchase a property mm-hmm. in GTA. It's still possible for single people, but the type of properties that they will be able to get usually won't be the same as um, somebody that is in a couple. Mm-hmm. But a lot of single people also have very generous parents. So <laughs> uh, there are people that are single are still buying, especially when they have the support of mm. um, their family. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. So when you say they may not be able to ha- like get the same properties as a dual income couple, for example, would that mean that, for example, I could, a single person could get a condominium, but a, a dual income could get a... F- like a detached house would that be the difference yeah so a lot of first-time home buyers especially in the gta the entry room is usually like a townhouse okay um but townhouse just means that it's connected on the two sides Mm -hmm. of the property um so that would be like the first home but for a single person um those prices are quite high and you also need a lot more down payment Mm -hmm. so the first property or like their qualification may only be able to get them 
a condo, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but yeah. it just means like they might have to start at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So now that we know it's doable to get into the market, how do you advise that we actually save for this down payment? Because I don't know what the average, I know across Canada, the average down payment is around like $40,000, but I think yeah. in Ontario, it's probably a lot higher than that. So what are some strategies you would say to help us save that you see people employing to save for their down payment? One thing I would say is that um, if you are trying to save for a down payment, you actually have to consciously save for a down payment. Yeah. Because you could look at it as, okay, I have um, $500 left every month after I spend everything. I'm just going to save that. And I'll just wait till I'm ready. Yeah. Right now in the market, that's not what most people that are able to save are doing. A lot of people are consciously. And what I mean by consciously is like, you're cutting costs so that you have a, you're able to save a lot more mm-hmm. on a monthly basis. I've seen people pick up extra jobs, um, Uber, Fiverr, there's so much, um, like in this type of gig economy, there's a lot you can do on the side to have that extra income and you can just go at it like very hard, Yeah, <laughs> save up and then uh, use that to buy your down payments. Um, a lot of people also are getting support from their parents, like I said. Uh, if you have parents that can support you with maybe not the full 40000 but 5000 10000 every penny goes the long way so saving i guess to summarize <laughs> saving from like your regular income um, picking up extra jobs just to be able to increase your income so you can save a lot more mm-hmm. and also calling on the support of your friends and family to support yeah that's and great yeah, if, especially if you have support from your friends and family, I would personally take it. Yeah, I think it's, I know some people have that like pride. It's like, no, I want to do this by myself. But I think right now it's a, it's, it's a, like a tougher market for newcom- new people who are trying to enter the market. So, you know, if your parents want to give you some money, please accept. Yes, <laughs> I would say that. And it could just mean that you could buy like two years earlier. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a gift. Like some parents are willing um, to like lend yeah. um, and then once um you're able to save up for more you can pay them back mm-hmm. or you can still um pick up extra jobs like i said just mm-hmm. to save for more yeah getting to that your first one yeah i like how you mentioned increasing your income because yeah i always say that like it's one thing to you know budget 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 but sometimes your money can only go so far you need to increase your income so that you can put more away towards the goals that you have okay so how much should we be as- like estimating that we will put down on a property for a first-time home buyer i think most first in the gta i should say <laughs> and gta of, sorry for those who don't know is greater toronto area thank you um most so most first-time home buyer properties they are looking at average i would say 650 to 750 that's the average price of a home or yeah in the gta right now oh, for wow. first-time home buyers okay. that's the entry point <laughs> Um, you can, for some areas outside of the GTA, you can probably get less, but let's just use 650 as mm-hmm. an average. Um, so for somebody that is looking to buy a property that is 650 in Ontario or in Canada, the minimum down payment is 5% of the first 500,000 and then 10% of the remainder. Oh, wow. So a 650 is 25,000 plus 15,000, which is about 40,000. Okay. On top of that, you also need to save for your closing costs. Mm. <laughs> closing costs is also about 1.5% of the purchase price. So I would say that um, to buy a 650000 property, you need 50000 including um, closing costs and down payments. Ooh, okay, so $650,000 property, I'm expecting to put down 
min- at minimum fifty thousand dollars. What are these closing costs that you're mentioning? Like what what is included in that? Uh, the main part of the closing costs um, is the land transfer tax. Okay. So the land transfer tax, depending on the purchase price, is like a progressive um, tax. Uh, it's about one to two percent. Okay. Of the purchase price, and then legal costs. Um, home, home inspection costs. Mm. Those are the main one, but the biggest chunk is that land transfer tax. And I think in Toronto, is it like a double tax that we get here? Most first time over, I don't even buy in central Toronto. Yeah, but if you are buying in Toronto, it's double that. So if you're <laughs> buying in Toronto, your closing cost is going to be around two point five percent. Wow. Whereas if you're buying like Mississauga, like Pickering, like areas surrounding Toronto, then you can stay around that one point five. Yeah, that's expensive. Yeah. Like two point five percent of six hundred fifty thousand is sixteen thousand yeah. dollars that I, that I'm yeah. putting just towards the closing cost or just towards that land transfer tax. Yes. Okay. And so if you, again, this is specific to Ontario. I'm not sure how it works in other provinces. Is it the same? If you know? Um, Alberta doesn't have land transfer tax. That's probably why a lot of people are going to Alberta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like uh, they've, and I think that's such a good point. Like I know like the government is like affordable housing, but land transfer tax is quite expensive. They're not thinking about cutting that, which affects a lot of first time home buyers. But in Alberta, you, closing cost is actually about less than 5000 Really? Yeah, there's so, no, you literally just have to pay like the lawyer fees fee. and maybe title insurance. So what is land, like what is land transfer tax? What is the point of it? <laughs> it's revenue that goes to the government. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But what, like when they say this is what land transfer tax is, what does it cover? Like, is it just, oh, because you bought a house and the, it's tight. The ownership is transferring to your name. You pay us. Yes. Ah, okay. Anytime ownership <laughs> is being transferred. Um, they look at the value of the property and then the government charges that. Hmm. That's a bit ridiculous. So it's a big chunk of the closing costs, whereas mm-hmm. the provinces that don't have that tax, the closing cost is way lower. Wow. Okay, that is yeah. good to know. So you said that we can put down five percent as a first-time home buyer. Uh, I so I I had to put down twenty percent for my property because it's an investment property. Yeah. Uh, so is it just if you plan to live in the house, it's your pr- pr- principal residence, then you can put down five percent. Correct. So okay. if your income qualifies for it, also oh, the income. Yeah, income. There's a income component of that. Okay. Sometimes. Um, people can qualify on that twenty percent plus down payment, but they can't qualify on that five percent. Mm. But I'm not. <laughs> um, but the main criteria is that if you plan to live in the property, you can afford the property, meaning like your income qualifies, then you can put less than twenty percent down, up to a million dollars. Okay. Oh, so if the property is one point two million dollars, then twenty percent. Really? Yes. Even if it's your primary residence. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah, that's so, really good to yeah. know. So that's why you see a lot of first-time buyers also spin under that million, million mark, and it's also very competitive, yeah. right? Because that means you don't need twenty um, percent. But if it's a rental property, it's over a million, uh, and maybe for some reason you're self-employed or the way you report your taxes, mm-hmm. like a lot of all other reasons, then you need twenty percent down. Is there any downfall of having uh, only putting down five percent, like? I know, I guess you'll have a bigger mortgage, of course, uh, but is there any other thing we have to be like considering when putting down only 5% versus 15% or 20%? Yeah, so when you put down less than 20%, you have to pay, because that mortgage is insured, 
you have to pay the insurance on it. Oh, okay. So the insurance for 5% down is 4% of the mortgage amount. <laughs> that gets added what? onto the mortgage balance, and then you pay that over time. Okay. So if I get this straight. Yeah. So I buy a property and I am going to, it's my first time, but it's my first property. I'm planning on living in it. I meet the income qualifications and I'm putting down 5%. Yeah. On t- because I'm only putting down 5%, I have to now get mortgage insurance. It's automatic. Yes. And it's 4% of the total mortgage cost and it's added into my mortgage. Yes. Wow. Okay. So for a 500000 property, yeah. like where you put 5% down. Um, you're not starting with the five seventy five thousand mortgage. Yeah. You're starting with five seventy five plus four percent of that. So it's very close to the purchase price. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Hmm. So you're basically okay, but it's still a way f- to get into the market, yeah, right? It's a way to get into the market. It's pretty much um the government the government initiative saying that yes, you don't have twenty percent. But they are pretty much backing the banks and saying that um, we are insuring this mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, I like to know why things are, because I find it pretty odd that you pay 4%. Yeah. And in the case of like foreclosure in Canada, it's such an expensive um, process that if somebody were to put 5%, the institutions will never be able to recover their money for the investors, right? Okay. So that's why they say, okay, because you have 5% and this person is at a higher risk of you, the bank is pretty much taking on more risk they are backing that mortgage by through the insurance. Okay. So that's why less down payments, uh, you have to pay some type of insurance. Mm, good to know. I didn't know this at all. So that's very good to know. Okay. So I realized that we didn't really define what a mortgage is. So could you define what a mortgage is for everybody? Okay, a mortgage is a loan that is backed by the house. Okay. Uh, it's secured by the house that you're purchasing. Mm-hmm. And in very simple terms is, um, I like to use 500,000 as an example. There's a property costing uh, that costs five hundred thousand, and you don't have five hundred thousand dollars in cash yeah. to purchase that property. It means that you need a loan, um, and in this case, you can borrow four hundred thousand, four fifty thousand, and then that um, loan that you got is secured on the property in, through the property. Okay, makes sense. And I know a lot of people when they come, to, like I see on Twitter this discourse of people like, "Oh, you guys in Canada don't even own your homes," you know, like. <laughs> Oh, you guys call yourself homeowners, but oh, you have a mortgage of five hundred thousand dollars, right? So, um, I I understand what they're saying, mm-hmm. but the difference is like as you pay down your mortgage every month, you're still getting equity in the property, right? More and more uh, yes. ownership of the property. And the title of the property is not in the bank's name; yeah. it's in your name. Mm-hmm. So I believe that's uh, like ownership. It means that you own, but it also just means that you have a loan, right? Yeah. Um, so I do I don't buy into that saying that you don't own the home because yeah. you have a mortgage on it. I think the ownership is in your name. It means that you own the property, but you've used your house as a collateral, mm-hmm. which a lot of people actually do in Nigeria. Lots of business owners, when you go to the bank and you need a loan, they're not just going to hand you over millions of naira yeah. without any security. So it's like using your property as the security cool. to bar- borrow money. Okay, that makes sense. So if I am a first-time home owner, how do I, or a first-time home buyer? Where do I even start, like, when it comes to my first home purchase? Like, I'm ready to buy my house now. What are my next steps? Who do I reach out to? Where do I go? What do, what do I need to know? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm brand new to this, and I, I'm like, I want to buy my first house. What are my steps? Okay. Your first step is to either reach out to a mortgage broker or your bank. Um, you can tell them you want to buy a house. It's a good first step because you know where you are. 
they'll ask you questions about your income, your credit, and they'll be able to tell you if you were to buy today, you qualify for this. Okay. If, let's say, you live in a GTA and you qualify for 300000 which is not enough to buy a property, they could give you um, options. Like, if you still want to buy a five hundred, dollars uh, this is the income that you need, so you can use that for planning purposes. Mm. This is the down payment that you need. This is what your credit score. So I think it's the first step to get pre-qualified, mm. even when you're not necessarily, like, ready to start looking because you have that and you can build that into your plan on what you need to do Okay. Um, to purchase your first home. So this is called the pre-qualification. Right. And so at this stage, can you do this, like, do you, have, do you have to be serious about buying your home at this point or can it just be like I, I, I'm just going to go to the bank or to a mortgage broker and ask them? Like, is yeah, this- you don't have to be serious or ready to buy a home at mm-hmm. that point. Um, the good, I recommend it for anyone that plans to buy at some point yeah. because then you know where you stand. I also see situations where maybe somebody's been saving for two years and then time they're like, okay, now I'm ready to buy. Then they find out that your income doesn't qualify or there's a reason. But if they had that conversation two years, two years, then they know what's expected. Yeah. Okay. Good point. So I would tell all of you, if you are listening, maybe this is the time if you are interested in buying a house to visit a mortgage broker or to visit the your local bank and just ask to get pre-qualified. Does this impact your credit score? Like, are they going to run a hard check on your credit or how does that work? For a pre-qualification, because it's more like asking questions, we don't even need documents. Okay. I, well, different institutions read differently. Mm-hmm. And we typically, for me, I typically don't even need to do a credit check because I just ask you. Yeah. It's a conversation and then we give you an estimate. If you want to then move to a pre-approval, meaning like you want um, the mortgage person to issue a document saying how much you qualify for, then we need a credit check. Mm-hmm. We also need um, your income documentation. Okay. Good to know. So I'm going to go to a mortgage broker or the bank. And can you tell us also what the difference is between going to your bank versus choosing to go to a mortgage broker? Yes. So when you go to your bank, you pretty much have like a mortgage professional that represents that institution. So they are telling you what you qualify for only based on their own policy. Mm. When you go to a mortgage broker, typically we are independent and we are connected to multiple institutions. We are looking across all of those institutions and we are saying, okay, uh, who do you qualify with and how much? What's their policy? For example, closing costs, like we said, is um, a huge expense. There are some institutions that let us add the closing costs into the mortgage, ah. whereas some institutions do not. So if you go to an institution that doesn't have that product, you only get that information, right? But if you mm-hmm. go to a mortgage broker, you get like a view of, okay, do I qualify? Not necessarily do I qualify with this particular institution. Mm. Okay, good to know. So I get to me, it sounds like it makes more sense to go to a mortgage broker just because they have like a lot of options. I know maybe if you go to your bank like directly, they 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 can only sell you their products, right? They can't sell you another bank's products. Uh, But maybe if you have like a really good relationship with them, they can give you a favorable rate or something. Uh, But other than that, like I think typically it makes a lot of sense to go to a mortgage broker. How does that, how does, do you have to pay a mortgage broker when you go to them or how does that relationship work? So the way, um, the way mortgage, things about, let's start with the mortgage professionals at the bank. The way they get paid is some banks, actually, some of them are on commission, just like mortgage brokers, some okay. of them are employees. Okay. Um, pretty much, they are getting paid because they are getting people to take on mortgage with those institutions. Mm-hmm. So I like to say mortgage brokers get paid in a similar way. It's just that we don't have, like, 
is not salary, it's commission. So whoever is whichever institution we actually place the mortgage with it pays it. us. Okay. So there's no harm in going to a mortgage broker. Yeah. So for ninety nine percent of the case, um, you don't pay a mortgage broker. The institution pays. Yeah, so I, I want to put a caveat to that, that there are some cases, like, for example, private lenders typically don't pay mm. um, the mortgage broker, so you have to pay that to pressing or some other um, type of mortgages, or like commercial, for example. Yeah. Typically, you have to pay the broker. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so I, I took us off track, but the <laughs> first thing you said is that when we want to buy a house, first thing we're going to do is go and get a pre-approved, uh, pre-qualification. Yes. What's the second step? Second step is... Um, after that pre-qualification, if you are ready, meaning like you want to start looking for a place or you've already saved for your down payment, your income is good, next step is the pre-approval. Okay. So your mortgage person would ask you for your income documentation. At that point, they would also pull your credits and they will issue you a letter saying this is how much you qualify for. So what is, what are, like your income documentation, is it, are those pay stubs or what, what proves your income? So what proves your income for most people salaried is your employment letter and your pay stubs. Okay. So that shows how much you're earning and like the nature of your employment. Are you contract? Are you full time? Which also matters. And how long would, how many years of employment income would you need to show? Is it just like the past years, two years? Um, so typically three months for full-time oh, wow. employment because okay. it means that your income is guaranteed to continue. But if you're a contract, you need typically more because it's not guaranteed. If you're self-employed, you also need more. Yeah, I'm self-employed. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this journey to buy a house will be interesting. Yeah, it's going different for, for sure. Yeah. Than, uh, but there are also other benefits, right? Yeah. Well, from a um, qualification perspective, especially a lot of people that are new to Canada, you don't actually have to work several years before you can qualify. As long as you have your three months employment, okay. you can actually qualify. That's good to know. And what if like, I switch my job like right before I'm looking to get qualified, would I, I mean, yeah, get my pre-approval. Would you look at it like, hmm, maybe wait until you like have worked here three months and then get a pre-approval or how does that work? Um, I would say it depends. Okay. <laughs> I are going to hear a lot of depends. And that's one of the things um, from being a mortgage broker, like every institution actually has different policies on that. Uh, okay. There are some institutions, um, minimum three months, regardless of if you're switching. But there are some institutions that also look at it like, let's say you get a promotion. Yeah. And let's just use an example. You've always been a business analyst and you're just switching to another company for a better pay. Then even one month in is fine. Okay. But let's say that you're a business analyst and now all of a sudden you're a nurse. Like that's a completely new yeah. career. You don't have previous experience. Then we want to see that three months. Okay. Yeah. And as as she said, it depends on a lot of factors. So reach out to Demi directly if you have questions. Okay. So first we got our pre-qualification. Now we're ready. We get our pre-approval. Then what happens? Um. So the next step is to actually shop for a home, which is okay. the exciting part. Yes. <laughs> so the next step is to then engage a real estate agent. Um, you provide your budget and you provide like what you want in terms of like the type of house, location, uh, how many bedrooms, um, things like that. Then they use your budget to then start to show you some properties that fit into your personal criteria and also your budget. Okay, cool. And then once we found the home that we love, what, what happens after that? Once you find the home that you love, the next step is to reconnect with your mortgage um, broker. <laughs> uh, so what we then do now is the final approval. So the final approval, you've been pre-approved like personally, but the bank also looks at the security, which is the property in this case, like okay. does it qualify? 
Um, oh, so some properties yeah. don't qualify. Some properties don't qualify. Maybe like it's in a bad condition, or maybe uh, that it's a condo corporation where they've had lots of issues in the past might not qualify. Oh, really? So we all, the banks also look at um the property because there are two two factors there. You as a borrower and also the property that you're using as security. Mm. So once you find a property, the next step is to go for the final approval. They check your finances again to make sure everything is still good. They also look at the property that you're trying to buy. At that point, they issue you a final pro- final approval for the property. And then you are ready. So right. yeah, yeah. Um then the next step is then the lawyer. The okay. lawyers come in. And they do even more deal diligence. They search the title. They make sure like you understand the contract, and then they enforce that contract that you have to, pur- to okay. purchase a home. And when it's enforcing, so that's you're actually going. So that so then okay. So after that, would it be closing after that? Yes. So okay. after you find the proper, after you have the final approval, um, if there are any conditions, for example, they might call the employer. They might do some other due diligence. Once all the conditions are satisfied, the next step is the lawyers become involved, the lender's lawyer as well as the client's lawyer. Mm-hmm. So those two lawyers, they work together to um, pretty much, yeah, kind of enforcing the contract from the lender's perspective to make sure all the conditions are met. And also um, the client's lawyer works in their best interest and they also explain those conditions so that you understand what your type of contract you're going into. Okay, so do people often go and like they start this whole process, and then by the time it's closing time, they can't close anymore? Like, because I know you said it, dep- they have to meet all these, co- uh, sat- they have to satisfy all these requirements, right? So, say their income has changed since they last, uh, like for the worst, since they yes. had their pre approval, or they got a car loan and now their credit score is lower. Are these things that can make, sh- like, prevent them from closing afterwards? Yes, oh, unfortunately, no. it happens. <laughs> Where I had a situation where we literally satisfied all the conditions and the underwriter called me to say, well, we called the employer and the employer said, oh, your client quit his job. I'm <gasps> like, what do you mean? Oh. And I called him, like, did you quit your job? And he said, oh, yeah, it's already approved. I'm like, you can't quit your oh, job. Oh, my God. So everything fell apart, but he didn't understand, like, what well, you are approved. But <laughs> they're also approving you to say, like, you are going to have this income G- going so forward. So that's a situation where even though we've gotten to that stage, the mortgage was canceled. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then different situations, right? Like, um, for example, we, as according to the anti-money laundry regulation, it's not just enough to come up with down payment from anywhere. They also mm-hmm. have to see where the source is okay. coming from. So what kind of sources would be a no-no? Like... So if you have a gift from your parent, is that a legitimate source? Yeah, that's a legitimate source. Okay. But your parents would have to sign that this is a gift. Oh, okay. Like, for example, loans are not allowed because, um, obviously. You're getting a loan to find <laughs> yeah, this Yeah, or loan. it needs to be factored into, like, your qualification, okay. meaning that we have to factor in the repayment of that loan, mm. and the insurer needs to know about it up front. Okay, that's good yeah. to know. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So situations <laughs> where... In the process of checking, like, um, down source of the down payments or verifying the employment, mm-hmm. or life happens. Some people actually do lose their job yeah. for reasons they couldn't control. Mm-hmm. Or so, yeah. so what sort of factors go into, like, qualifying us for this mortgage? I know, like, for example, your credit score. Mm-hmm. What other things? So I know you said income. Um, 
Yeah, outstanding. Yeah, so yeah. the first is the income, and not income just by itself. Uh, we look at the income relative to the expenses of this new mortgage and your other expenses that you may have, like you have a car loan, student loan, and we look at the ratio, and it's really the bank just making sure that you are not carrying too much debt that you actually cannot pay for it, mm-hmm. right? So we look at, that's the main criteria. Second criteria is your credit score, because the bank wants to make sure that you have good reputation of paying your debts. Yeah. Um, that's just a simple way to um, say it. Mm-hmm. And then they look at the quality of the property that you're buying. Okay. I already mentioned. So, so do they, the usually main send, they usually send over an inspector or something to the property just to check it out? Is that what happens? Or appraiser? Yes, appraiser. correct. Okay. So they send an appraiser to... They don't always send an appraiser because it's expensive. Yeah. Sometimes they use like... Thankfully, we're in this side of a tech world. They use the AI uh, valuation model to okay. determine the value of the property. Sometimes they actually send in an appraiser to look at the property. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is a lot to, to understand. But I think you're breaking it down in a very simple and easy to understand way. So I think everyone should remember that your credit score, it is important. Okay. Because... Uh, I don't think it's that you can't get a mar- a credit score if you, I mean, you can't get a mortgage if your credit is a bit lower, but it could mean that the loan that you get can be more expensive, right? Yeah. So the interest rate on that loan can be a bit more expensive than if you had an excellent credit score. Correct. So what are some key factors that people should look at when they're comparing different mortgage options, such as the interest rate, the fees, the loan terms, like what are the different things that we can look out for when we're getting a mortgage? So the rate is one thing. That's what everybody <laughs> looks at. Yeah. Uh, but the terms of the mortgage are also very important. Um, terms. I, terms. And when I say terms, when you look at um, terms, first is the rate, which means how much you're paying every month. Everybody wants about that. But you also have to look at exit options. And I think that's the big, the other big expense that people don't think about. Mm. Like what happens if you change your job and you need to move and you need to sell? How much does it cost you to break out of that mortgage if mm. you need to? Can you take that mortgage onto another property without incurring like payments? Yes. So that's oh. a portable mortgage, meaning that if let's say you get a new job and you have to move, you can sell and put that mortgage onto another property without mm. incurring extra fees. Mm. Not all mortgage products uh, allow, allow that. that. But I think when people, especially first time home buyers, are going into a new home, they're not thinking about okay, what if I need to actually break out of this five year fixed mm-hmm. mortgage I'm in? What's the cost of actually doing that? And that way, you kind of start to see why some products are priced lower than others because sometimes they are more expensive. If you need to break, some mortgages don't even allow you to refinance at all. At all? Yeah. Really? Yeah, but okay. that's not something that people also know. So the terms are, I would say, just as important as the rates because mm-hmm. they might be cheaper on the front end, but you indirectly pay. Uh, and I've paid penalties, so this is yeah. something I'm very sensitive about because i didn't know about that penalty when i was getting into the mortgage yeah very expensive it can be right okay so we're gonna look at the interest rate we're gonna look at the loan terms uh are there and fees that may that we may incur throughout the life of the mortgage i think the good thing is people could lean on you as a mortgage broker to like give them the best option possible for their situation but i guess they have to be up come up front and you know, give you. Do you ask like questions uh, to get this information out of them before you recommend which mortgage? Yes. So one question is like, what's your plan? Do you plan to stay in this property um, for long? Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Do you want to remain flexible? Like, especially in light of the way the rates have been, 
fixed, the con, the good thing about a fix is that you don't, nothing changes, right? Yeah. But if you have to break out of a fixed mortgage, it's more expensive than breaking out of a variable. Mm-hmm. So how long do you really see yourself staying in this property? So it also depends on the client to be upfront about their plans. Yeah. Because then that would inform uh, what product or someone could say, well, my goal is really to pay off my mortgage as fast as possible. I'm going to add a big chunk of t- into my mortgage every year. That means we have to look at the mortgage that has um, prepayment privileges. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, could you explain what a fixed rate mortgage is versus a variable rate mortgage is? So a fixed rate mortgage means that for the term of your mortgage, and let's just use five years because that's a common term, your rates would remain the same across the five years. Okay. Whereas a variable rate mortgage means that out of out um over the five years your rate can fluctuate depending on the economy and when I say economy the direct connection is the prime rate mm-hmm. so that's the main difference okay. um, variable means that sometimes your mortgage could be really expensive which is right now because rates are <laughs> quite high yeah. and sometimes the rates could be really low where you get to save a lot more it's just that you are um, flexible. Mm-hmm. Another big difference between fixed and variable, fixed rates, if you have to break out of the mortgage, the penalty is usually higher because okay. the expectation is that you stay. Uh, whereas uh, a variable rate mortgage, the penalty to break out of it is uh, usually much lower. Okay. And I think a lot of people always ask me, oh, what do you recommend, fixed versus variable? But I think it depends on your personal situation, right? I chose a variable rate mortgage uh, back in 2020. Looking in hindsight, um, maybe I should have chosen a fixed rate mortgage, but because mine is an investment property, like I'm basically writing off the interest. So it's not that big a deal to me, but if it's your principal home, I can see how it'd be very stressful to um, have a variable rate mortgage because I think my mortgage was around 2% when I signed. Now it's probably like 6, 5 something percent. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot. So yes, that's the... um, That's the con, really, of variable rate because mm-hmm. you don't never know. But uh, especially for investment properties, a lot of investors actually stay on variable rates yeah. despite the rate fluctuation. Because what if you just decide, okay, I don't want to rent out this property yeah. anymore? You can easily sell and exit without much cost. You can refinance if that's what you want to do. Uh, so it gives you, like, you're essentially variable. You can change your mind and you can change your plans. Yeah. Whereas fixed, you might not have. Um, that flexibility yeah. so like you said not i don't think that fix is always better than variable or variable is always better it really depends uh is it an investment property is it your primary residence mm-hmm. do you want to stay uh, flexible are you risk averse or not yeah <laughs> so all it's good really a personal decision yeah okay i would i'm hoping that you can tell us some of the benefits that there are for first-time home buyers in canada so i know there are a few accounts that we can use to like you know, save or invest for a down payment. So could you tell us some of them? Maybe we'll start with like the FHSA, which is the first home savings account. Yes. So the FHSA is a new um, account that I think is actually a really um, good one. What it does is like you can, if you are planning to buy your home, uh, your first home, you can open an account and you can start to contribute, I think, up to a maximum of 8000 per year. When you file your taxes, you report uh, your contributions and that actually would typically give you a tax um, deductible so it's like indirectly you're also increasing your down payment because now you have your eight thousand yeah. that you've saved if it's in an investment account you also have the growth plus you have any tax returns that you might be cutting from that yeah. um so that's the main advantage um it's also tax-free when you take out the money for yeah it's also purchase. tax-free when you take out the money 
Um, I think what they've tried to do is combine some of the benefits of a tax-free savings account and the IRSP. Mm -hmm. IRSP, the main difference is that if you take out of that funds to purchase your first home, you then have to contribute back that equal amount uh, over the next 15 years. So not too bad. But um, this... (laughs) FHSA, I'm still getting used to this acronym. <laughs> yeah. It gives you the flexi- flex, uh, flexibility that you don't actually have to put that money back. Yeah, and I, I've heard some people saying, oh, it's just $40,000. What are we going to do with $40,000? But I always like to remind people that, yes, it's it's not that, like, it's something. It's more than we had before. And the good thing is that the money is tax deductible again and it's tax free. So you would have had to put, save the money somewhere yeah. in any other account. So if you saved it in your high interest savings account, then it would have been you would have been t- paying taxes on any gain that you have, and you wouldn't be able to invest the money. If you put the money in a registered account, you would be paying tax on it, right? So I always I think people just like to complain, uh, but I think that the FHSA is one of is a really good option that we have. Yes. Yeah, and I think people minimize, like you said, it's just forty thousand, but if it's in something that is on uh, getting five percent a year, yeah, one maybe you also gets like you know five one thousand tax refund for every year. That actually adds up to way more than you get by shopping around for a 0.1% rate. Yeah. So sometimes <laughs> people are like, oh, it's just FHSA is really nothing. But I think like if you look at it in dollar amounts, it's actually significant and it's actually one of the best programs in my opinion. Thank you. For, <laughs> for uh, a first-time home buyer, how much you can actually get from those type of accounts. Yeah. It'll save you more in the long run than a 0.25 or 0.1% rate difference yeah. from shopping around. And also, um, in the FHSA, you are able to qualify as a new home buyer, even if it's not your first home, technically. So I know my first home that I purchased was a investment property, but I've never lived there. So I technically am a first home buyer under this plan. So I will be utilizing this account. Also, if you have purchased a house in the past, but you haven't lived there in the past four years, then you can also be considered a first home buyer under this plan. So I think that's really good. Um, Again... It's better than having zero dollars that are tax deductible and tax free. Uh, what do you think about the RRSP and how can first home buyers use that? So I know you mentioned it briefly, but maybe if you go into a little bit more depth. Yes. So the RRSP is a registered. It's really meant for retirement, but they kind of added the home buyer plan yeah. <laughs> to that. But what it does is very similar to the F. F- <laughs> what it does is it allows you to contribute towards that um, um, savings plan and you can then withdraw it tax-free if uh, with the promise to pay back over time and use that money towards your down payment. I've seen um, some employer plans have RSP that they can actually withdraw from, which is really good because I've had people that have used their regular employment employer contribution towards their RSP and they are able to use that towards their down payment. Good to know. Good to know. And then what about the first home rebate that is available? I honestly don't know much about this. So if you could break it down for us. Okay. So when we talked about the land transfer tax, (laughs) uh, if you're a first time home buyer, you also get a rebate. Um, You actually pay, I think about $4,000 less than somebody else that is not a first time home buyer on the, um, first-time home buyer rebate, so that's a good one because mm-hmm. that four thousand when you're purchasing your first home, it's a lot of money. Yeah, even if if it's second, third home, it's a <laughs> yeah, lot of money. Yeah, it is a lot of money. So as a first-time home buyer, you get that rebate. Mm-hmm. Um, the lawyer applies it automatically at closing, so you actually don't pay upfront and get it back. That's great. It just deducts it upfront. And is that just all you have to do is be a first-time home buyer, and it's for your principal residence, or um, is it for 
your investment property too. I believe for only your principal residence, yeah. but for some reason I'm not 100 yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm that. pretty sure it's only for okay. your principal yes. residence. Okay, well, thank you. This has been very informative. Another question I have for you is, what are some common mistakes that you see people make when they're shopping for a mortgage that can cost them a lot of money? So I think one that you mentioned would be the guy who quit his job after he got his pre-approval. Very costly mistake. Um, Are there any other mistakes that you see? Um, Shopping for you. I think that's the biggest one in the sense, like, you're changing, like, uh, something about your pre-approval like your pre-approval is based on a particular income based on a particular credit mm-hmm. based on your current debt so you should t- not try to change any of that yeah. and i think maybe one big one i see for first-time home buyers is they want their first home to be this nice detached house uh and they're <laughs> like doing like everything else is just so par yeah <laughs> in their mind oh yes i have perfect kitchen the flooring has to be perfect or like maybe they know a friend that bought this. But everybody's situation is so different. Mm-hmm. I say like don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, you should really assess like your own budget and buy according to your budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just be flexible. A lot of times, you might feel like oh yeah, this is your forever home. Lots of first time home buyers, you change maybe after five years. Yeah, your income is better. Your situation has changed. You can move on. Like yeah. it's not like you buy this one home and that's the. Like you are locked in forever into that home, mm-hmm. so I think when I talk to first time home buyers, they're very picky, and I say, "Okay, your budget is six fifty. I'm like, I can't buy anything with that. <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, you can buy a townhouse mm-hmm. in maybe Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want a townhouse. I want it to be detached. Yeah. So I always say, "Well, you have to start from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> if you buy that townhouse, then maybe later on you can upsize into that detached home, mm-hmm. like the ultimate." dream house yeah. yeah and i like what you mentioned about don't change your current stat like financial stat whatever you were pre-approved with that's unless you're increasing your income yeah. of course but other than that like i a mistake that i see people make often is that they'll apply for a loan right before they're about to close right and i'm just like guys yeah. like your credit score everyone well most people know that when you apply for a loan your credit score typically takes a ding right so if you now have applied for a car loan okay you get the car loan now you have more debt that there was yep. not factored in before exactly. and now your credit score probably dropped a little as well so i don't know i just like that would be a big mistake yes. that people make right and don't assume like i think this is something with the age of internet the internet is great because you can read everything mm-hmm. but sometimes if someone tells you on the internet it doesn't matter if you get a car loan you're never going to check your credit again <laughs> but then it actually happens yeah so i'll say even making before you make any big decision check with the person that pre-approved you yeah i'm thinking of buying a car do you think now is the best yeah. time? i'm thinking about changing my job what do you think mm-hmm. like they would typically tell you yes this is gonna affect your pre-approval no this will not be affected so before you do anything i think it's always best to check yes to see what the impact of that yes is. hit up dami ask questions like there's you're not in this alone so always make sure you ask the person who has pre-approved you uh, another question I have is, aside from the mortgage, I know there are a lot of other costs to consider when it comes to home ownership. So how could somebody prepare themselves financially for the ongoing cost of home ownership? Like maybe the property taxes, insurance, maintenance. Are there any tips that you would have for them to prepare for this? Um, the best way to be prepared is to really understand what's the cost of home ownership beyond mm-hmm. the mortgage. The big, um, I think property tax is a big one and it actually differs from city to city. So mm-hmm. maybe that could be something that you factor in when you're shopping from a home for a home. 
to factor in what the property tax expense would be. We actually use that as part of our qualification for your mortgage. Okay. Um, so property tax is a big one and also regular bills, right? You have to now start paying heating, you have to pay water. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> as a homeowner, you have lots of bills. So you need to factor in how much do you expect to pay on a monthly basis in addition to your mortgage and your property tax. And you also have to look at your other expenses. A lot of first-time mobile, they also have new babies, mm-hmm. and then you still have to pay for childcare. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Adulting has lots of bills. So I think that the best way you can really prepare is to really understand and then go back to your budget, look at what your net pay is, and then really um, critically assess, can you afford this? If you cannot, maybe you need to save for some time, mm-hmm. or maybe you need to buy something less expensive or with cheaper um, bills so that you know that you can afford yeah. Um, those things. What do you think about people? Like, I know when I was buying my house, my dad told me you don't have to go to your max budget that you were pre-approved for. Is that something that you recommend for people? Like, if you tell them they can afford seven hundred, or they're gonna get a, mor- a mortgage of seven hundred thousand, do you suggest they go for that full amount, or what do you typically suggest? I suggest that you go for less, but yeah. I want to say that the reality of things in GTA is that most people want to go for less, but it's high. The property prices are just really high. Except you are willing to move out of the city. <laughs> I know some things are like textbook, the best thing to do. Yes, go below your budget. But also, right. like in reality, prices are also the reality that most people actually are maxing their budget in this market, to yeah. be honest with you. But <laughs> in an ideal world, yes, I agree. You shouldn't go your maximum i just want to make sure yeah. i'm not giving unrealistic to say yeah. okay don't go to your maximum unfortunately it's just in reality. gta right now like most people are like right at their maximum because maybe 650 is the maximum right yeah like where are you gonna find something yeah that's, that's 500 <laughs> yeah good point okay the uh just wrapping up here i know there i saw this post on your page so i just wanted to bring this to everyone's attention you spoke about there that there are a lot of myths when it comes to home ownership as a first home buyer so i want to address them so the myth the first myth you said was only first-time home buyers can buy with five percent down so can you debunk that myth for us yes so the five percent program which is like the uninsured mortgage anyone can use it you can use it you can buy a second home or even a third home with five percent as long as it's your principal residence so that program is commonly used by first-time home buyers, but it's actually not a first-time home buyer program. Okay. As long as you can afford it and you plan to live in the property, then you can put um, less than 20%, which uh, we are saying 5% down. Good to know. Okay. Next myth. You can only buy one property with 5%. That's the same one, no? It's, uh, well, it's similar. The, the difference with that one is like, for example, you could, let's say, let's use a classic first-time home buyer. You buy a condo, right? Uh, you buy it for full 5% down, and now you're ready to offset. Maybe you got married, and so now you have extra income. You can actually turn that property into a rental property instead of selling it off. Okay. Your next property can be with 5% down. So in this case, you've bought two properties, uh, and both are 5%. Down. Okay, good. good to know. Okay, and then your only, myth number three, your only upfront cost is a down payment. And yeah, we know this is not true. <laughs> no, not true. There's closing costs um, and there's also moving costs. Yeah, we don't factor that <laughs> we in. We don't factor right? that in, even like from a mortgage perspective. We don't, you also have to move, move. you have to buy things. Furniture. Furniture is expensive. Furniture is expensive. I didn't know. <laughs> 
I didn't know until I was like, oh, wow. It's ex- oh. like a couch can be thousands and thousands. Yes. Yeah. It could easily be the same thing as your closing costs yeah. or even more. So, yes, beyond your down payment, you still need closing costs. You still need moving expenses. You also have to still factor in that just a month after you close, you have to start paying your mortgage. Yeah. So, you can't just use every single thing that you have. Mm-hmm. Um to pay for your down payment and not think about all this other rest things. yeah and i think a lot of people are house poor actually because they have this nice house you know they ha- it's very nice they close the property but then they don't have enough money to like support the day-to-day expenses or month-to-month expenses that they have okay then the fourth myth is to qualify for a mortgage you must be debt free can you debunk this for us yes <sighs> to qualify for a mortgage you don't have to be debt free you can have some debt, not so much either. <laughs> that you can. Yeah. Uh, what it just means is that if you look at your income on a monthly basis, um, let's say forty percent of it um, has to be like your monthly payments, and there's room for some of that to be the debts that you're paying. So you don't have to be debt free. Like if you have a student loan, for example, typically the interest rate is lower. The government is a bit flexible on the repayments. Mm-hmm. There might be no advantage for you to pay that off before you get into your first home but there are some debts that like for example credit card you don't have to be zero but it's actually beneficial for you to pay it down and i always say that when you start to pay for your mortgage and pay property taxes you might actually not have enough um, cash flow to actually be able to pay that credit card Mm. so it might be advantageous for you to pay it off just so that you free up your cash for those important things or like I mentioned earlier, you can also go into a program. There are some mortgages that allow us to add the, some of the debt into your mortgage so that you have one payment. And because that debt is now converted, like, I don't want to go to technical, but now let's say your mortgage is at 4%, right? And then you have a credit card balance of 5000 that you're paying 19% on. You might actually work better for you to add it to your mortgage because the interest rate is lower. So there are some products like that as well. Thank you for clarifying that. And the last myth that we have is that there is a perfect time to buy a home. How do you, what do you respond to this? I always say, <laughs> um, the perfect time is when you're ready and when you can afford it. They, yeah. All of this, um, wait for rates to go down, wait for prices to go down. You don't know if rates are going to yeah. go down like anytime soon. You don't know if prices are actually ever going to go down. Yeah. Prices have been this way for the last, trending upwards at least for the last five to 10 years, yeah. I think. So I think that I cannot tell you what the perfect time is. Like you have to look at your expenses. You have to look at your plans over the next couple of years. And if you are ready, that's the best time for you. Know all of these external factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with this. I think a lot of people think they have a crystal ball and then they can time the housing market, the stock market, everybody, every market. But you can't, unfortunately. Okay. I know people who have been saying for 10 years that, oh, there's a, bu- there's a housing there's a bubble. bubble. It's going to crash. It's going to crash. But still, here we are. And if they had just gotten in 10 years ago, I'm sure they would be smiling right now. So, yes. yeah, once you can't afford it comfortably and if you are ready to purchase a house and it's a desire of yours, that would be the perfect time. And I think people don't realize that as like, they're like, Oh, let's wait for interest rates to fall. But when interest rates fall, typically home prices go up, right? They have an inverse uh, relationship. That's already happened. I remember December, um, (laughs) just a few months ago, like sellers were literally begging buyers to buy like every, um, 
like sellers were on the market, the days on the markets increased because there were barely any offers. Now the market has actually turned. Mm. On average, prices have gone up by about fifty to hundred thousand over the last four months alone. Really? So it's like that little window has been hey. made <laughs> because you're waiting for the rate to go down. But the rate has actually not go down, but prices have actually gone uh, up. Oh, good to so know. You can't really say, okay, when rates come down, because that at that point prices might actually have increased. Mm. So if now is your time, meaning like, can you afford it? Are you ready to take on that commitment? Then maybe that's the best because you don't know what's going to happen yeah. in the future. Well said. Okay, wrapping up here. What is one piece of advice you would share with my listeners to make sure that they don't go broke trying to buy their first home? I think I would say cut your coat according to your size. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's like a um, Nigerian saying, <laughs> but I think I see a lot now that like if you can afford a condo buy a condo if you can afford a townhouse mm. right like don't look at all those external factors i think just look at yourself and then uh, find what like what fits your budget or what fits your um, lifestyle mm-hmm. and some of those you know it's trying to just silence them yeah well said i agree stop trying to keep up with the joneses you don't even know what these people like how other people have been able to afford their house as dami said lots of people have generous parents right so you're comparing yourself oh my gosh my friend was able to buy her house she's so young and then that person got a thirty thousand dollar gift from their parents stop comparing yourself to them it doesn't really make any sense or some people are having to work several jobs just to keep up with that monthly payment because they've taken on so much uh, you don't know. Yeah. You just see the house and the yeah. um, nice cars parked in front. Yeah. So don't keep yeah. up with the Joneses. Coat your, cut your cl- <laughs> cut your coat Coats. according to your cloth. And yeah. <laughs> and yeah, uh, focus on yourself and try to run your own race. Well, thank you so much, Demi. If you, if anyone listening would like to find you, where could they find you? Uh, I think the best way to find me is actually on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Mortgages by Dami. Um, yeah, that would be the best place for me to reach okay. out. Okay, and I will leave Demi's links in the description box below and in the show notes below. Make sure you reach out to her, follow her, check her page out. She posts inform- informative content, especially on her stories. I really, I, I like the stories. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Demi, for coming on and teaching my audience. I really appreciate it. And everyone, we will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next up, we have Coin Fashions, where we are going to be answering all the questions that you submitted about mortgages. So we'll see you in the next one. Bye. I hope you learned some things that will help you to not go broke. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening and share this episode with a friend. To watch the video version of this podcast, check out the DGBT YouTube channel and you can continue the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag DGBTPod. This episode was produced by Matthew I and music by Wonder Girls.